be the last. That was a blessing. Man, a lot. A bunch of rich, full voices. I like it. I like it. Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn back with me to Proverbs chapter number 5 tonight. Proverbs chapter number 5. And we want to jump in where we left off. We uh, started in first uh, 9 or 10 verses of Proverbs chapter number 5. And we'll, we'll uh, come across a number of warnings uh, still throughout the book of Proverbs. Over and again, God warns the young man. What are the, what are the young man's two enemies in the book of Proverbs? What are, what are they? Two main enemies. The strange woman and the foolish man. That's right. Strange woman. The, the men on the platform know anyway. <laughs> Everybody say it with me. Two, two enemies, the strange woman and the foolish man. And you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. You can be taught all your life, taught all your life. And taught what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. And then you, you get in a place, there's no accountability, and you're with one fool, and you do something stupid you never thought about doing your entire life. Five minutes with a fool. And just about, and you do something to change the course of your life. I talked to a man, and he said, uh, I witnessed to him, and he's born again, and everybody told me that he said, he said, all the buddies I ran with are in prison or dead. Every one of them. He says, it's the grace of God. He said, I spent six weeks in jail over a pizza. And uh, so I was with a buddy. And they said, well, let's, I don't, he, he, he called it, it's got a word, dine and, dine and dash. Is that a word? I knew Angela would know what it is. And, uh, <laughs> dine and dash. I suppose it means you go eat and then you don't pay, right? You walk out. So anyway, uh, but here's this kid, here's this kid, as a teenager, and they decide to order a pizza, and then they start walking out, and the manager comes, confronts him, and uh, they try to walk on out, and he said, you ain't walking out, and they went to blows, and he took the man and picked him up and threw him through a pane glass window, and for about five weeks, he didn't wake up, and he didn't know if he was going to be, have murder charges. Uh, but God's grace, all he got was idiot charges. And one stupid, one, one, one fool, one, one pizza with a fool, and you get in a brawl and you almost alter the course of your entire life. Strange woman did the same thing. One fling with a strange woman changed the course of your entire life. Now these are sobering, and the Bible's plain. The Bible handles delicate things very tastefully. And uh, this is pretty frank. Let's delve in. Father, bless tonight, once more, the teaching of the Word of God. Help us to heed the warnings that we read in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 7, Hear me now, therefore, all ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Don't miss what I'm saying now. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Don't go anywhere near where you know the strange woman, and for that matter, the foolish men will be found. Verse 9, Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Look at me just a minute. Young people, all of us, don't be careless with your honor. Don't be careless with your name. Don't be careless with your testimony. One foolish decision can change the course of your life. And 
probably more so is that true in this day and age than in any other time in human history. At 13, 14, at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, you can do one stupid thing. Are you listening? One stupid thing. Take one picture and send it and change the rest of your life. Well, I was young and dumb. Yeah, and those young and dumb things have a way of following us, don't they? They do. And he said, don't, don't give your honor away. Don't, don't do that. Verse 11, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy years unto the cruel. Hey, let me ask you a question. Before you, before you decide to have a fling, you might ought to think about how that thing's going to turn out. Do you know how many men in this country are living in a house that an ex-husband paid for? You're going to work and build that house and pay for that house and then you're going to turn around and you have a fling and a year later some other guy's going to be living in the house you built. That's stupid. That's dumb. You're going to give all all you work for. Let strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of strangers. By the way, this is a little sensitive. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I've, I've experienced these things in, in counseling, and my wife and I many times in counseling. If a partner's going to be unfaithful, you stay put in the house. You stay put. So I'm not taking this. I'm going to leave. And, and someone else is going to be in your bed in a few months. So you better think about that. And you're not going to want to go back to that house. Now, let me tell you something. If you're going to be unfaithful, why don't you own that? Why don't you own that? If you're going to be unfaithful and destroy your family, then you own that, that choice that you made. Now, if, you, if, if your partner's unfaithful, my advice to you, now there may be, I'm not talking about if you're physical harm or something like that. I know there's exceptions to what I'm saying. But as a general rule, if you're the faithful partner, you stay put. You, you stay in the house. And uh, I hope you don't ever need that advice. We, we, make, we make rash decisions. Some of people quit their jobs just like that and say, well, I don't have to put up this. I'm walking out. And then we don't think about what we've done. And um, the Bible says don't, don't give your labors to strangers. Verse 11, and thou mourn at the last. This is what entertaining the strange woman will bring you to. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Folks, listen to me carefully. The Bible is crystal clear. There are physical consequences for immorality. There are physical consequences for immorality. And listen, young people, listen to me. And, I, and those, listen, I, I'm not, I wouldn't hurt anybody for the world tonight. But And God's grace is sufficient for any situation. Amen. But my heart tonight is to our young people who can still do things the right way. 
my heart to you young people is this. You do things the right way. That means you fall in love and you marry and then you have children. And you hold, listen, you hold that line of purity. And by the way, if you're going to hold the line of purity, you're going to have to hold the line of propriety in order to hold the line of purity. Don't go, don't go to the marriage altar technically a virgin. Understand that? Proper. And being proper will keep you pure. Be pure. And can I tell you something? That, you won't have to worry about what the rest of the world's dealing with. You, if you'll do that, you won't have to worry about it. You stay pure, you won't have to worry about it. There are physical consequences for immorality. Verse 11 thou, And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Galatians 6, 8 says this, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. I'm trying to handle these things with wisdom. But in the 1960s, there were basically two diseases that plagued those that were immoral. In the 1970s, another STD gained momentum and became prominent. In the 80s, HIV appeared. In the 90s, researchers of these diseases noticed that cervical cancer rates among nuns was not commensurate with the general public. The nuns weren't getting cervical cancer which led to further study and the vast but it's not 100% the case but the vast majority of cervical cancer is almost it almost always caused by the diseases of which I'm speaking over the last 60 years Doctors have gone from treating two diseases that are transmitted through immorality to now, today, in 2022, 30 different types of diseases that are being transmitted. Every year in this country alone, 20 million new cases. And half of them Listen to this. Half of them are kids under the age of 25, 24, and younger. Half of those 20 million cases are in children, teenagers, young adults. This year, this year, one out of every four teenagers in this country will contract a disease because of their impropriety and misbehavior that they will then live with for the rest of their life and will take into their married life. Now, let me tell you something. Listen, you can say, well, that's no big deal. You, but God honors His Word. God keeps His Word. Amen. You cannot circumvent the truths of God's Word. 
I'm not demeaning anyone. I'm not belittling anyone. I am trying to champion innocence and purity and abstinence and do the right thing as a young person so you don't carry the guilt and the shame and the physical consequences of impropriety into your married life. Galatians 6, 8 again. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Guilt is a continuous stress on the nervous system. Folks, listen. We, we, are, we are an anxious society. We are a nervous society. We are a worrisome society. And guilt, which is a result of unconfessed sin, guilt wreaks havoc on the nervous system. Your nervous system is what communicates with every cell in your entire body. And if somebody has a back injury and and uh, they become paralyzed, uh, uh, paraplegic, quadriplegic, your nervous system communicates with every cell in your body. And guilt wreaks havoc on your nervous system. Guilt is a God-given consequence of transgressing God's written law. Or let me say it this way. God's law written on our hearts. Turn, turn to Romans 2. Turn to Romans 2. Let me, let me show you this in the scripture. Romans chapter 2, verse number 14. Romans chapter 2, verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, it's a general term for unbelievers, he's talking to uh, God's people there, it's a letter to the Romans, and he says Gentiles, it's a general term for unbelievers. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, unbelievers who, who, don't, who don't even have the law, they don't even have a copy of it, do by nature the things contained in the law. Look at me. Here's a culture. Here's a people. They don't have the list that says, Thou shalt uh, not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And yet, in their culture, they say, You can't steal. You can't lie. Now, they don't have the law, but they, they live by that. Uh, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. Here we are, pick it up in verse 14. These having not the law, that they do not have the written word of God, are a law unto themselves. Look at me again. No matter what culture you go to, there is some system of right and wrong. I'm not saying it lines up with the scripture always, but right and wrong and consequences. This we do, this we don't do. If you do this, these are the consequences. If you don't do this, these are the consequences. Having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Verse 15. Which show, which proves, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts. Now we're talking about unbelievers, right? Which show the work of the law written in their conscience. Look at me for just a minute. Let's paraphrase what we've learned. God said, here's unbelievers. They have laws. They keep their laws. There's certain things they know. This is right. This is wrong. I mean, maybe a culture without a written language. It may be a primitive culture, but they have certain 
uh, laws by which they live. And they say, this is right in our culture. This is wrong in our culture. They have uh, things that just they know are right and know are wrong. And the Bible says they don't have the law, but they have the law of God written in their hearts. Next phrase, their conscience. Do you know what separates a man from a dog, a cat, a shark, a tree? A consciousness of right and wrong. A consciousness of right and wrong. A dog acts by instinct. A dog can be well trained. But you and I make moral choices. We can think this is right, this is wrong, and we can decide accordingly. And God said his law is written in the hearts of men and their conscience bears witness to what's right and wrong. Their conscience also bearing witness. And watch this, watch this. And their thoughts. The meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Their own thoughts. The meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. God's talking about, God's talking about right there, he's talking about guilt. It's talking about the accusation of your own heart, where your own heart, your own spirit, if you will, accuses you. Guilt is a God-given consequence of transgressing God's law written on our heart. And James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you breach just break just one point of the law, you are guilty. You will experience guilt. Now I want you to consider responses to guilt that we find in the Bible. One of the first things when we feel guilt, we cover it up. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? Fig leaves. Try to cover it up. Try to hide it. What else happened? When you feel guilt, we avoid God's presence. We avoid God's presence. What did Adam do? Did he go to the garden to walk and talk with God? No, what did he do? He hid himself, right? He hid himself from, the Bible says, from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. He hid himself. And God came along and said, Adam, where are you? Now, did God know where Adam was? Yes. <laughs> but he was calling Adam out. And, that was, and by the way, that's God. Hey, let, can I ask you? God, t- let me say something. If you're not in your place, and, you, and this is why you ought to be plugged into a church, by the way. And you're not in your place and someone says, hey, man, where, where are you? You ought to thank God that you have a godly friend who cares enough about you to say, hey, man, where are you? Where were you? That's what God did. That's godly. Teachers, checking up on your absentees is godly. Adam was absent from Sunday school. He didn't show up. And God said, Adam, where are you? And by the way, by the way, listen. When you least want to go to church, that's when you most need to go to church. That's when you most need to go. So he didn't stop there. Adam, he said what? Uh, He tried to cover it up, of course. Tried to avoid God's presence. That didn't work. And so what did he do? He blamed his wife. And that's typically the way it goes. But anyway, he he blamed his wife. Right? What did she do? She blamed the serpent. Look, 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 listen, none of these solutions resolves guilt. None of them. 
It doesn't stop there. We deny it. We just out and out deny it. Remember again, uh, Samuel, as he approaches Saul. Saul's supposed to kill the Malachites, right? Uh, and uh, supposed to slay Agag. And, uh, and so what happened? And here comes the man of God. And what does Saul say? First words, when you start defending yourself and nobody's even asked you a question, you're guilty as all made sin. And Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And nobody asked. Nobody asked, Saul. Nobody asked. So what is he denying it? Then we justify it. Probably the most ridiculous example of this is Aaron. Forty days, Moses up on the mountain, fasting, getting a hold of God, getting the Ten Commandments. And Aaron's down there, and the people put pressure on him. And so he fashions a golden calf, right? And Moses comes down. Moses is angry, and Joshua's at the foot of the mountain. They hear the, uh, the music, and it sounds like war. And, and any music that sounds like war is of the devil. And they're taking their clothes off, and nakedness and the wrong kind of music kind of goes together. They're dancing. That all goes together. And uh, anyway, so they come down the mountain, and he breaks Ten Commandments, and he gets angry, and he questions Aaron. And what does Aaron say? He said, I didn't want to, but the people, they wanted. So he said, I just got the gold, and I, I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. Can, can I tell you something? When you're trying to just, you ought to tape record yourself when you're trying to justify your sin. And go back and listen to absolutely how ridiculous you actually sound. Can you imagine Aaron later? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said that. How foolish. He actually said, I, I threw it in the fire and I popped this golden calf. Seriously, Aaron? Well, we try to justify it. And we lie about it. We try to, we try to deal with our guilt. We lie about it. Uh, remember uh, Gehazi and uh, Elisha or Elijah? Elisha. Stay out of my Bible study. Uh, <laughs> Elisha. Gehazi was servant to Elisha. And uh, uh, remember Naaman, uh, the Syrian, and the leper, he had leprosy, and he sat down the man of God, and he said, uh, uh, dunk in the water seven times, and he finally did. And he came back out and he went to the man of God. He said, let me, he said, but you, you, you've helped me salvage my life. Uh, let me do something for you. And he's filthy rich, very powerful man. And uh, I said, no, we don't need anything. You go on ahead. No. Get, get, you know, God gets the glory here. I don't want it. And um, yeah, his eyes like, Elisha, take an offering. And Elisha said, no, go on ahead. Gehazi got thinking about how rich that man was, and he brought all kind of gifts with it. He was loaded with gifts. Loaded up. And Gehazi said, hmm. And so Naaman got down the road, him and his entourage got down the road, and Gehazi went after him. Caught up with him. Said, <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Naaman. You know, after you left a while ago, some young men came to train for the ministry, and they don't have any clothes, and they're about my size. And um, and they don't have any money. And Naaman said, "Oh my! Well, let's help them get some clothes, get some money." And and he said, "Thank you, so, oh, thank you so much." He goes back home. He hides his stuff. Elisha comes in. He said, "Gehazi, where you been?" He goes, "Me? I ain't been nowhere." 
That is not real smart. And the man of God said, the leprosy that Naaman was just healed with, it's yours now. First of all, he's dumb because he, he dishonored God's servant. And he was even dumber because he lied about it. So we lie about it. We give evasive answers when we feel guilt. You remember after uh, Cain killed Abel? And God comes to Cain, he said, Cain, where, where's Where's Abel? He said, I don't know. I'm not in charge of my brother. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a pretty dumb thing to say to a God who knows everything. By the way, just in case you forgot, kids, your mama knows everything. She's not God, but she's pretty close. Then we judge others. Try to deal with our guilt. As always, we try to deal with our guilt. Our conscience is our own guilt. And what we do, we judge others. Well, he's just as bad as I am. She's just as bad as I am. Well, you're right on that point because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that's not a newsflash. Neither is it an excuse for your sin or my sin or anybody else's, right? Now, let me help you. You can judge others all you want to, point fingers. But your issue is inside, not outside. We react. Uh, think about uh, Asa. I can't, I can't remember the man of God. Anyway, Asa got called out. He started so well. He started so humble. And anyway, the man of God came and called him out. Uh, Micaiah. Remember when uh, Jehoshaphat made an affinity with Ahab to take Ramoth Gilead? And uh, Ahab had 400 preachers show up, all of them liberal preachers, and uh, and said, give us a word from the Lord. And they all had a good word from the Lord. One even brought visual aids, brought these horns, you know, made out of iron, said, with these horns, you're going to push the enemies of God back. And everybody said, Amen. And, uh, and so Jehoshaphat said, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't you have a prophet of Jehovah around here somewhere? Amen. Yeah, we got one, but I, I, I can't stand it. I hate him. He's always so negative. Negative, negative, negative. Every, all of his messages are negative. Jehoshaphat said, well, it's all the same to you. I think I might like to hear at least, you know, one other voice. So I said for Micaiah, here he comes. Ahab said, and, by, and before he got there, before he got there, Ahab said, you go tell him. He better cooperate. <laughs> and so the messenger comes and said, uh, you want, the king wants you uh, uh, right away at the palace. And just so you know, they're having a conference down there. And 400 preachers have already preached, and they all say the same thing. Now, you, you probably don't want to, you know, you probably just want to, you know, you get the hint, sir. Got it. So he walks in the courtroom, uh, walks in the, in the palace there, and there's Jehoshaphat. And there's Ahab. Ahab said, give us a word from the Lord. He said, go up against thine enemies and conquer. And Ahab said, quit being a smart I can tell the truth. He said, all right, here's the truth. You're not going to get out of this thing alive. You're going to die in battle. Ahab said, I told you. I told you he's so negative. 
And not only did he react, but he attacked the messenger. Both Asa and Ahab had the men of God put in prison. Micaiah knew that was going to happen before he ever showed up. He said, well, if you had a wife and kissed her, he said, hey, I don't know when I'll be back. I'm going to prison. What? You're going to prison? Yeah, I'm going to the gang, get ready to speak. I'm going to wind up in prison. Sure as the world. You know how Ahab feels about me? And he wound up there. One last thing we do with our guilt, we become unduly harsh with others. We become unduly harsh with others. This it, is almost as comical as, as Aaron's guilt with his brother. I threw this gold in the fire and calf popped out. Is when Nathan the prophet goes and calls, holds David's feet to the fire and tells him the story about the man who had one little sheep. It was like a pet. It was like a family member. And a friend came and... Uh, uh, and, and had a rich neighbor. A rich neighbor had a friend come on a journey and had all kind of sheep. But instead of taking one of his sheep to make a meal for uh, uh, for his guest, he goes over and steals the neighbor's one sheep, brings it back, and uh, cooks the meal for the... And, 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 and David, when he heard this story, he was furious. The Bible said David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And I'm not sure he was thinking. Because then he said, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. How's he going to do that if he's dead? (laughs) Anyway, because he did this thing. Because he had no pity. Now let me tell you something. When we... A lot of times with our guilt, we get harsh with others. Can I say this, my dear friend? We're all going to stand before a holy and a righteous God, and He's a jealous God, and He's going to judge sin, and that ought to sober all of us up. But may I say this? Sometimes we're unduly harsh with others because we recognize in them our own weaknesses. We can spot it so easily because we're so familiar with it. And David got called out. And to his credit, next words out of his mouth, I've sinned. To his credit, he humbled himself. Guilt is not a function of the mind. Remember that statement. Guilt is not a function of the mind. It is a function of the spirit. And it's a result of a broken relationship with God. Sin puts a breach in our relationship with God. So, why is that important? God wrote His law on our hearts, right? He wrote His law on our hearts. When we breach, through a transgression, we breach that relationship with God, and now we're estranged from God to some degree, then guilt comes in, and... (laughs) Okay, how, how does the world deal with this? And I, again, please, please please put your feelings away for, for just a moment or two. And let me speak to you from my heart. I'm not sitting in judgment of anyone. But let me tell you how the world, I'm talking about absence, the truth of God's word, the world primarily deals with this. The world primarily deals with this as a mental and emotional problem. But I am telling you that guilt 
is neither a mental nor an emotional problem. It manifests itself in those realms, there's no doubt about it. But guilt happens in the spirit. Which is why. Did did you ever did you ever see 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 a couple we've 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 have you everybody got your feelings put away? We've mocked it, we've made fun of it, we've made videos about it, and we get we laugh. And it's really not a laughing matter, but it's well, it's funny. Did you ever did you ever listen to the commercial for the medication that's supposed to make you feel better? May cause death, may cause your eyes to bleed, may cause your knees kneecap to turn around backwards, may may cause your kids to be born without toenails. I mean, I mean like like thirty things, it's like and this is gonna do what for me? Now wait a minute, very carefully listen to me. By the way, one thing it does, it may cause suicidal thoughts. Uh, Am I missing something? Anyway, here's the faulty thinking. Here's why that doesn't work. Listen carefully. And by the way, I, I, I don't, I'm, that's not a blanket statement. There are emergencies in all of these realms, and I understand that. But I promise you this. If your conscience is accusing you, that happens in the spirit. And you can talk yourself into just about anything. And you can convince your mind that what you did was not wrong and it's not your fault, all you want to, but your spirit will continue to condemn you. And you can't escape that. Sometimes I hear people say, well, people think bad of me. First of all, they're probably not even thinking about you. People think bad of me. People look down on me. Now, let me tell you something. Nine times out of ten. There may be some truth to that. I understand. But nine times out of ten, that is your own conscience condemning you. It's God's law, God's law, excuse me, written on your heart. And you have transgressed that law and brought guilt into your spirit it affects you emotionally. It affects you physically. It disturbs your nervous system. Now, you can you can convince yourself in your mind. You can do something to sort of save yourself emotionally. But if you don't pull the thorn out, the infection is not going away. And if all you do is deal with the mental and emotional part, I'm not saying that's not real. It's very real. I understand that. But if you don't deal with that which is accusing you, there's not a cure. Your guilt releases hormones that affects your mind, your will, your emotions, and your physical well-being. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh 
and thy body are consumed. Look at verse number 12. And say, how have I, this is at the last, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. I wish I had listened. I wish I hadn't despised reproof, correction. Verse 13, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor incline mine ear to them that instructed me. Why didn't I just listen to my mama? Why didn't I listen to my daddy? Why? You've come to that place in your life. Verse 14. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Can I tell you something, dear friend, listen to me. Being right smack dab in the middle of God's work does not make any one of us immune from temptation. Well, I'm at church. People come and say, well, I'm at church. You shouldn't have to worry about that at church. Let me help you with something. You know what this place is filled with? Sinners. Saved by the grace of God. Amen? And we hope spirit-filled people. That's what we want to be. But we are all still made of the same flesh. No man ought to trust his flesh. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Uh, Lamentations 3, 21, 22. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful tonight for God's mercy? Amen. Say, Pastor, I just about lost everything. But thank God for his mercy. Amen. New, new, new every morning. Verse 16, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them only be thine own and not strangers with thee. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about, listen, let me tell you something. This passage says, don't fall for the same thing he fell for. There is something about our flesh that says that which is forbidden is somehow better than what God has given us. And since Eve, the devil has told that lie over and over and again. Listen to me. It is never true. It never has been true. It wasn't true in the Garden of Eden and it won't be true for you. Enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy the wife of your youth, the Bible said. Be satisfied with your own. See? Listen, the problem, the problem is not, the problem is discontentment. Enjoy what God's given you. Verse 20, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Let me say this. I'm almost done. When you, listen, young man, when you touch a young lady that's not married, you're touching somebody's, you are likely touching somebody else's wife. She's going to be somebody's wife eventually. Somebody's wife to be. Verse 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he pondereth all his going. That fascinates me, that verse. Ponder, you know, ponder, ponder, right? You with me? Look right here. Verse 
God is up in heaven looking at us going, why did he do that? Why in the world? Can you see God up in heaven? (laughs) Seriously? That's what the Bible said. He pondereth all our goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Listen, you may think that you have that sin under control, but if you do, you're under the sin's control. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Look, don't play a game that has been played for centuries and never won. Nobody ever won by disregarding God's laws of propriety and purity. You won't be the exception. And may I say this? Let me say this. Young people, listen, Pastor, and I'm going to close with this. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. You, this temptation is coming. It's coming your way. Sin in this day and time is more accessible than it ever has been. I'm talking about, listen, if you want to stay pure, you stay proper. Look, 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 listen. You keep your eyes off of that which is improper. You keep, you keep your eyes. You girls, listen, you young girls, you listen to me. You keep your eyes off of that which is improper. If it's not, listen. He's <laughs> always so cute. Um, if you if you listen, you get on there and watch these little videos of these little boys in skinny pants, and he's just so cute. And his little rock band, his little skinny pant rock band. First of all, he don't even like you. He likes your brother. <laughs> well, yeah, he's so he's so cute. Now you listen to me, listen to me. You're not above your life being ruined. And I, I, obviously I'd never do it. But I promise you in this auditorium tonight are, are numbers of people. And some likely be willing if I gave them opportunity. I'm not going to do it. But there are numbers of people who would lean over to you and say, please, listen to what pastor's telling you. It's a hard road. Now, young people, listen. you got a chance to do it right. Amen. Got a chance to do it right. And uh, you'll never regret it if you do. You never will. Let's stand. Father, we love you now. Thank you so much. You're, you're so, you're frank, straightforward in your word.